0: And say, as for me and my house, there is no option. Options are off the table. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is led by Pastor Daniel White. Pastor White has been serving as the senior pastor since its founding in 1998. We hope the message today will be a help and encouragement as you seek to become more like Jesus Christ in your everyday life. This and many other messages by Pastor White can be downloaded for free. Just visit our website at www fbcclarklake.org, or visit us on iTunes, where our weekly podcasts can be downloaded for free. Now, let us take our Bibles and join Pastor White as he continues to teach us God's truths today. All right,
0: let's take our Bibles. Turn to Joshua chapter twenty-four. Entitled the message this morning, "Fathers Are Awesome." Talk about. The importance of fatherhood today. Joshua chapter twenty-four. Joshua is a hundred and ten years old. He's about to die, but he still has enough strength as the leader of the nation of Israel to summons all of Israel. And all the leaders of Israel to Shechem, to have a day of dedication and a day of challenging them to serve the Lord. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 1, we'll do a little bit of background to this text and then I'll preach. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. We'll find out why he gathered them to that specific place a little bit later. And called for the elders of Israel and for the heads of the, uh, and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Then Joshua goes into explaining to the people their history, their Heritage going all the way back to God calling Abraham out of the land of the Ur, the Chaldees, into Egypt, out of Egypt, crossing the Jordan, wilderness wanderings, and then the conquering of all these nations. Look at verse 11 as they crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gerizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the otherites. And then in verse 12, I love verse 12. Remember, as they were conquering the promised land, they came up against two armies led by two Amorite kings that they were outgunned and they were outmanned and everyone thought there's no way we can beat these Amorites and God sent hornets and drove out the Amorites from before them. God is so cool. Isn't he? God's awesome. Now drop down with me to verse thirteen. It says and I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, and vineyards and olive yards which ye planted uh, which ye planted not do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord, again this is a dedication service, the last thing that he's going to say to his people before he passes into eternity. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve. He has an invitation service now. Whether the gods which your fathers served, uh, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, say it with me, We will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is that brought us up out of, excuse me, brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before all, us all, the people, even the Amorites, which dwell in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is, say it with me, he is our God. What a dedication service this was. What a great homegoing that Joshua had as he prepares the people. Now drop down to verse 29 with me. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, being a hundred and ten years old, he died. And verse 31, I love this. And Israel served the Lord all the days of what? Joshua, because of his godly leadership. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. And which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Great chapter. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd bless the preaching and the teaching of your word this morning. Help your servant as he seeks to break the bread of life. Thank you for our fathers and how important fathers are. Thank you for that great idea you had back in the Garden of Eden to establish fatherhood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me give you a little bit of background here into Father's Day. The idea for creating a day for children to honor their fathers actually was born out of Mother's Day. A woman by the name of Sonora Dodd thought of the idea while she was sitting listening to her pastor preach all the way back in 1909 a Mother's Day message. And she thought, you know, we have a day to honor mothers. We should have a day to honor fathers because her father was so important to her. Her mom died at a young age and her dad raised her as a single father. He was everything to her. He provided her every need. She had such love and respect for her father. She saw him as courageous and selfless and a loving man. And she said, you know what? We need to honor our fathers. And all God's people said, Amen. So she made it her campaign to bring about the establishment of Father's Day. And finally, in 1924, Calvin Coolidge, because of her influence, uh, proclaimed the third Sunday in June as Father's Day. Some of you may remember this, that Father's Day used to be celebrated. I have a vague, vague memory of this. So those of you who are older than I am may remember this, that Father's Day was celebrated with children wearing red roses for a living father and white roses for a father who had passed away. Grandma, you nodded your head so you do remember that. Is there anyone else that that remembers that? Okay, got a few there that remember that. You know, uh, let's stop and just just think about fathers for just a moment. Um, They really are our unsung heroes. Fathers receive very little praise, very little appreciation. Just about everyone takes Dad for granted. He's unnoticed and unappreciated, and yet where would we be without our fathers? I think I could factually say you wouldn't be here. One little boy was asked, I thought this was cute, he was asked um, <clears throat> about Father's Day and, and uh he was asked to define Father's Day. And you know, kids will say the darndest things, right? And so this little kid, he pauses for a moment to define Father's Day. He said, well, Father's Day is a lot like Mother's Day, only you don't have to buy any presents. (laughs) Boy, he hit the nail on the head right there, huh? Now, just a few years ago before We all had uh, cell phones. How many here have have a cell phone? Can I see your hand? Well, aren't they a blessing? No, they're not. But just a few years. Some of you are are, uh, too young to remember when we didn't have cell phones. But when we didn't have cell phones, do you know that the greatest number of long-distance calls were made on what day? were made on Mother's Day. Did you also know that the greatest number of collect calls were made on Father's Day? (laughs) Some of you say, what's a collect call? (laughs) You don't even know what a collect call is. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Satan's attack surely is heated up against the family. It really is. He is seeking to undermine the family, the home, and in every single way possible. I think he is just anxiously working to completely defeat this divine institution that God has established. And one of the ways that he does that is, is, is to get folks to absolutely despise fatherhood. He really does, to undermine the person that God has put as the head of the family. And because fatherhood has been undermined by the devil, give me an amen. amen. And I also have to say this, the devil has been really successful. Hasn't he? We have all kinds of confusion, all kinds of chaos, and all kinds of rebellion going on in our families today because of Satan's attack and how he's undermined the role of a husband and and a father. The Bible says this, and he, John the Baptist, shall go before him, the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elias to turn, listen to me, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, speaking to fathers, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Satan knows that people can only be prepared for the Lord. Now now listen to that, be prepared for the Lord If their hearts are turned towards their fathers. And their fathers hearts are turned towards them. Because someone in a state of confusion. Someone in a state of rebellion. A family in chaos. Is not prepared for the Lord. I want to read to you a few articles uh, this morning. Uh, What I have to share. uh, It's not a pretty picture. How many of you know families that are in really big trouble today? Dysfunctional families are now commonplace, aren't they? Here's an article from the Christian Post. And then the issue was the attack on fatherhood and manhood. As we take a long, hard look toward the world today, it is becoming increasingly evident that Satan is working overtime to enslave the souls of men. His main target is the fundamental unit of society, the family. During the past few decades, Satan has waged a vigorous war and campaign to belittle, demean the basic and most important institution that God has established, which is the family. His success is apparently evident all around us. The grim facts are seen, reported, and heard on a daily basis and involve the collapse of many family units. With the decay of the family, we see the terrible effects of our society. Increased crime, behavior disorders, poverty, drug abuse, and the list continues to grow and grow and grow. The crosshairs of Satan's scope are centered directly upon husbands and fathers. Today's media, for example, has been a relentless attack against fatherhood. And demeaning husbands in their God-given roles. Satan, in his carefully devised plan to destroy the family, seeks to diminish the role of fathers. Increased youth violence, youth crime, poverty, economic insecurity, and the failure of increasing numbers of children in our schools offer clear evidence of a lack of positive influence from the fathers in the homes. And I love this statement. A family needs... Are you still with me? A family needs a father to anchor it. That's a great statement. Our families are at drift today. A family needs a father to anchor it. I believe it's absolutely clear that the media, the liberal left, and Hollywood is on a campaign to destroy the family. And so I had to stop this week and kind of meditate upon that and ask the question, why? Why does the media, why does the left, why does Hollywood so much want to destroy the family? Because they have an anti-God agenda that they're cramming down our throats. You say, what is their anti-God agenda? Well, it's to attack the most important institution, which is the family. And so they mock fathers, and they make fatherhood look as it's totally and completely unimportant. Another article that I was reading from the Bible Institute of Church Ministries, again, the title of the article was The Attack on Fathers. Let me read to you. Please bear with me in all this reading today. Stupid. Lazy. Uninvolved, ignorant, timid, detached, neurotic, weak, powerless, unreliable, ineffectual, irresponsible. What do all these words have in common? They are all descriptions of how men and fathers are depicted in today's Western culture. Television is a great example of this problem, whether it was in the past, all in the family, or is today married with children, Seinfeld family guy, or the Simpsons. Men are often portrayed as fools and inferior to not only their wives, but their children as well. And this isn't even considering the latest onslaught of one parent homes, that is, homes absent of any father, and those normalizing homosexuality. These trends have been increasing every year, and it seems to show no signs of stopping. He's correct. The problem is especially pervasive in shows, listen, geared towards children as Hollywood and the current culture are absolutely hell bent on turning the hearts of children away from their parents, but especially their fathers. If if you still need convincing, just turn on Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel and watch how men are depicted. It won't take you long to see what I mean. Even the commercials feed into this distortion of manhood. In so many cases, all authority figures are depicted as incompetent, including teachers, police officers, but none more marginalized as fathers. Mothers are depicted as much more capable of navigating through life uh, than their incompetent spouses, but even they take a back seat when it comes to the kids themselves. Watch these same channels and observe how kids are depicted. They are the ones in control. They are the ones running the show. They are the ones making all the important decisions. They are the ones saving the world. And doing it all with zero or minimal input from their parents, especially that detached lump on the couch they call dad. This is the culture. Now I know some of you don't like to hear that. Okay. But it is where we're at. It is where we're at. Another article is the portrayal of fathers in the popular media by David McGee. Honey, what area in this house am I in charge of? said the dad in Good Luck Charlie on the Disney Channel. Bob's words were addressed to his television wife, Amy, after she had corrected him in front of their daughter about not having the right to ground her because of her lying. Mom belittles dad in a humorous way and made sure that he knew who was the real boss in the home, and that was mother. Sitcoms play out this scenario on screens across America in an increasingly alarming rate. Buffoonish. Ignorant, self-centered, inept television dads must be shown their proper place in the home. At best, television dads are portrayed as nothing more than figurehead leaders of the home, but at worst they are relegated to the intellectual level of the family pet. This portrayal of dads on television has deteriorated to a point that not to see the role of men belittled or ridiculed would seem to be ironic or even nostalgic, taking us back to the 40s, 50s, and 60s, where father figures were generally portrayed from positions of wisdom and authority. Contrary to this ridiculous portrayal, another extreme is also represented in which men are depicted as physically abusive, aggressive, violent, and power hungry. In the past, however, men on television were generally depicted as respectable, leaders, problem solvers, confident, and yes, even athletic. Given these observations, this article, and it's a great article, I encourage you to read it. This article seeks to answer what is the impact of the present day portrayal of inept fathers on culture and home life and even the church. We attempt to show that when society opposes, listen, when society opposes the natural order that God created for the family, that other aspects of life tend to fall out of order as well. It's really a great article. Satan's active. Remember the verse when the enemy comes in like a flood, God promises that he will raise up a standard against it. I want to be a part of that standard. I want this church to be a part of that standard. I want every single father here to be a part of that standard that God is raising up here in these latter days. Now, how is fatherhood portrayed in the Bible? How is it portrayed in the Bible? As I stopped to meditate upon that and to really think that through and just kind of roll it through my mind, I begin to think, now wait a minute. How is God portrayed in the Bible? What's the answer to that? He's portrayed as our heavenly Father. And it was like, ding, ding, ding. A light came on. The anti-God agenda of the left Ah, must attack fatherhood. Must attack this institution. Because the attack on fatherhood is a direct attack upon who? God! It was like I never saw it in that light before. I, I always knew that a, that a child's understanding of God is, is formed and shaped by the father figure but to see the connection between the anti-God agenda of the left and the attack upon fatherhood, and to bring that into perspective where it's really an attack upon God, just really set in. Does God love us? Give me an amen, does God love us? Oh, he loves us, does he watch over us and protect us and provide for us? He instructs us and he leads us and he guides us and he fellowships with us. He disciplines us when we need it. He blesses us when we do good. He teaches us and He leads us by example. And praise God, He saves us from our sin. Listen, who needs a father? Then who needs God? Do you see the connection, church? So we could attack fatherhood. We could say, well, we don't need a father in this family, we need God. Just the other day, there was a little girl that I saw, and she was being interviewed, and this was what she said. She said, I I have two fathers. Homosexual couple. She said, I have two fathers, and I have one mommy, and she has a boyfriend, and we all live together. She lives with a homosexual couple. One's her dad, biological dad, who lives with this homosexual lover. Her mother lives in the home with her boyfriend. Can I tell you something? That is about as twisted as you can get. Have you noticed that we basically now have defined the family as anyone just living together? Let me tell you something. We are in trouble. Let me read to you a few verses about God being our father. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. O foolish people and unwise, is not he God, thy Father, that hath made thee and established thee? Don't be foolish. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, Thou art the potter, we are all the works of Thy hands. Be not wroth or very sore with us. I think, unless I'm calling this wrong, I think God is very wroth and very sore with what's going on in the attack of His divine institution. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, and a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your, what? Heavenly Father... Give good things to them that ask. I really believe the reason for the attack on fatherhood today is because, indirectly, or should we say directly, it's an attack upon God and His fatherhood. Throughout the Bible, do you know fathers are honored just as much as mothers? They are. Actually, to be honest with you, fathers are honored more <laughs> than mothers in the Scriptures. The Bible says a just man walketh in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. You've got men of integrity and that blessing flows not only to that man but it flows right on down to his children and then the Bible says and to his children's children. And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He that spareth the rod hateth his son but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. That means Often. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. See the connection? Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and intend to know understanding. Your fathers will give you understanding. Understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and sent unto me. Let thine heart retain my words and keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom and get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not and she shall preserve thee. Love her and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom and with all thy getting get understanding. And exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory, shall she deliver thee. Wisdom comes from two sources. Number one, it comes from the Bible. Number two, it comes from our fathers. From the Bible and from our fathers. Oh, how families are blessed because fathers are awesome. The Bible is, is absolutely chuck full of the examples of godly fathers. Now, they all had their faults, right? There's no perfect fathers. We have a perfect heavenly father, but there's no perfect fathers. But the Bible has many examples of good, godly fathers. But I really believe the one, in my opinion, are you still with me? Some of you are zoning, don't zone on me. Especially if you're a father, don't zone on this one, I mean, come on. But of all the fathers in the Bible, really, Joshua, in my opinion, stands head and shoulders above all the other fathers. He was really an amazing, awesome dad. So let's go back to our text there, Joshua chapter 24. As we mentioned earlier, Joshua knows that he is about to die. He's 110 years old. I guess it's about time to die. Amen? How many of you want to live to be 110? I'd like to check out a little bit before then. Okay? He's 110 years old. He summons all of Israel, the leaders of Israel, together at Shechem to give them his farewell address and challenge. He holds this great dedication service to try to motivate his people to serve the Lord even after his death. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. He recounts the history of the nation of Israel, as we already talked about. He charges them to obey the Lord who had brought them Out of the land of Egypt, and had brought them into the promised land and given it to them as an inheritance. And then, are you still with me? He warns them, he warns them about the danger of apostasy or the danger of turning away from the Lord, even though the Lord had done great things for them and had given them this land and had gone before them, even defeating an army by using hornets. Listen. We always have the decision in our life whether or not we're going to turn away from God or whether we're going to continue to follow him with our lives. And so Joshua knew that. He knew the frailty of man. So the last thing, the most important thing to him before he died was that his people would continue to walk with the Lord. That they would continue to serve the Lord. And he really chose the absolute perfect setting for this challenge and for this dedication. By the way, what was the name of the town? Very good. You were listening. The name of the town was Shechem. And Shechem is absolutely alive with all kinds of of national history for the nation of Israel. I'm just going to mention a few things to you. Remember when God called Abraham out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldees? Said, I'm going to give you this wonderful land and just don't worry about where you're going. Just follow me. And Abraham left everything. The Bible says not knowing where he was going. Let me tell you something that takes some faith right how many of you dads if I came up to you and said you know what God just told me to tell you to pack up everything have a big garage sale sell it all and just go what would be the first question you'd ask me go where and I would say well that's none of your business just go that direction well where am I going what am I just just go My my goodness. Tremendous amount of faith that Abraham had. Well, where did God bring him to? You say, well, God brought him to the land of Israel. But where in the land of Israel did God bring him to? Shechem. Shechem, and there as Shechem, the Lord appeared unto him and said, Abraham, you're here, you're in the land. That I promised you. And Abraham builds an altar. And there in Shechem he dedicated his whole life to God. Wow. Great history there in Shechem. How many remember Jacob and Esau and the conflict those two boys had? Right from the very get go. Remember the, I I mean, Esau was so angry that he vowed that he was going to do what to Jacob? One day I get my chance, I'm going to kill him. But God had worked in their heart over the years. And. God brought them together. This is such a beautiful story. Remember how they came together with all their families. And Jacob was a little bit concerned. So he put his families behind him. He made sure they were all protected in case Esau was going to attack. And all Esau attacked him with were kisses. They threw their arms around each other and Esau kissed them. And the Bible said they wept and they wept and they wept. As they were reunited, Guess where Jacob went and settled down after things were reconciled between him and Esau? Shechem. How do you know that? Eh, good deduction, right? Went to Shechem and settled there in the land of Canaan. I also love this story. After they were in Shechem for a while, Shechem was a very worldly stay with me. Shechem was a very worldly place when they first settled into there. And by the way, how many sons did Jacob have? Okay, that's good. He had 12 sons. How would you like to be the father of 12 sons? Oh, give me 12 daughters, but 12 sons? (sighs) After seven, I said, God, that's the number of completion. Stop. (laughs) But you may remember the story. How they started to become influenced by the culture of Shechem. It's really an awesome story that has some great applications to us today. And so uh, Jacob gathers all of his sons. Can you picture this? All of his sons. Comes out just outside of Shechem. There's this great big oak tree. I love dads who will take the leadership of their home and say enough is enough. Hello, amen. Amen. Men who are going to be men. Last week, you may remember that as I was preaching, I <clears throat> mentioned the word effeminate. Remember that? How God hates men who are effeminate. He wants men to be masculine, not to be effeminate. He wants men to be men. Solomon, or David said to Solomon, Be a man! Listen, we need men today. We need men who will assume and take the leadership of their families and stop being run by their children and stop being run by their wives and say, as for me and my house, there is no option. Options are off the table. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And when his boys weren't serving the Lord, when his boys slipped in carnality and they started to wear the dress of the Shechemites, they started to pick up the idols that the Shechemites worshipped. They started to wear earrings, amen, in their ears like the Shechemites did. I tell you something, if you're a man, get the earring out of your ear. I can just see him grabbing his boys by the back of the neck taking them out here. He's an old man. Taking them out underneath this oak tree, giving every one of them a shovel and saying, "You get those clothes, you get those worldly, carnal clothes of the Shechemites, you take them off. You take those idols and you you dig a hole and you get those earrings out of your ears, boys." and just hear him saying, I'm gonna whip your butt. Can I tell you something? These 12 boys were like, they're scared of dad. Hallelujah, we need some more children that are scared of their fathers. But you know, I just wanna be a buddy buddy with my children. God didn't say be a buddy buddy to your children. As we fear God, we should fear our fathers. This whole thing, I just want want to be a friend with my kids. Better get over that or you're going to lose your children. Here's a shovel, boys. Get your clothes off. Get the earrings out of your ears. You take those idols and you bury them. And we're going to dedicate ourselves right here in this place to the Lord. And then we're going to Bethel and we're going to have a sacrifice. And we're going to ask God to forgive us for what we've done. Now, if we were to do that today, we would have a few more than just a little image of an idol. Okay, boys, bring the Xbox. Bring the iPod. Bring all that worldly music. Come on now. Bring that computer that you spend hours upon hours staring into every day. You say, Pastor, are you saying all these things are wrong? I'm telling you, they're wrong when they become idols. We'd have to dig some... Matter of fact, you know what we need today? We need some backhoes. To dig holes big enough to bury the idols And the clothes and all the worldly stuff that our children have picked up because we've allowed them to do it. I mean Shechem is just it's just it's just filled with all this great history. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? What was the name of the well? Jacob's well. What town was it in? Shechem. Remember before they left Egypt? Dig up Joseph's bones. I'll tell you something. There's something about a physical burial... Now, you listen to me. I've had a lot, of, a lot of services for people who have been cremated. And I'm not standing up here saying I'm absolutely 100% against cremation. Okay? But I will say this in the Bible, there was something special about a physical burial and a physical place. It was so important that they dug up the bones of Joseph, they took them all the way back. Guess where they buried him? Boy, you know your Bible well. I could go on and on. With all the historical events that happened here in Shechem. But Joshua now calls all the people together to this place. He's an old man. Can I tell you something? There's something about old men When they speak, they they speak with the authority of experience. That's why you better listen when the old men speak. Better not make fun of old men. Those who have white hair. Don't make fun of old men. They have years of experience. Joshua, we first find him recorded as he was Moses' minister. For 40 years. He worked hand in hand and side by side with Moses. How rich and how valuable was that experience of life. Life lessons. For the... Last 25 years of his life, he had been leading the nation of Israel in conquering the promised land and settling them into their inheritance. Better listen to this guy. He reinforced his appeal with the power of a godly example. There's something else about a hoary headed man who has the power of a godly example behind his life. Let me tell you what. When he said to the nation of Israel, you choose today who you will serve. I can just see the tears in the eyes. These people know he's going to die. In a sense, this was their beloved pastor. I, I just wonder how many tears would be shed in this church if you knew. If I stood before you today. Some of you i have pastored over 25 years. And I have to say to you today, I just got a terrible diagnosis. I have one week to live. I won't be back in this pulpit next week. I had one last thing to say to you. I know there'd be tears in my eyes, there is right now, and I'm, I'm OK. <laughs> Some of you say, "Well, I hope hope. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> but I have to believe there was tears in the eyes, especially of these leaders who had been so influenced by Joshua. He says, "So you choose this day who you will serve." The power of a godly example, the authority of a godly life. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What did all the people say? We're going to serve them too. And they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. They served the Lord. My goodness. There were two qualities, and I'm going to wrap this up real quick, that I have seen in Joshua's life, and I just want to mention them to you. Number one is he was a leader. I believe that every father must be a leader. I believe that some men have better leadership qualities than others. But listen to me, dads every dad needs to be a leader. Every dad needs to be a leader. It's your responsibility before God. As I look at Joshua, he spoke for his family. And he declared a clear vision and intent for his family. We'll serve the Lord. You see, a father's role as the spiritual leader of the family is absolutely incapable of functioning unless you have some biblical standards and convictions in your life. Watch thou. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men and be strong. Men, dads, where's your standards? Where's your convictions? Are they so weak that your children and your wife trample over them? That you're allowing things in your home that absolutely grieve you in your own conscience before God. Instead of saying, listen, I'm the head of this home. God placed me in the head of this home. Now I'm only going to speak for myself. I'm going to speak for our family. And I'm going to declare a clear vision for my family. We are going to serve the Lord. I found it amazing. Thank you for praying for me for the conference that I just preached up north. It was a great conference. I felt a heavy burden as I went into each session and I was so happy when the last session was over. Just felt that burden come off. But I couldn't believe this. One of our sessions was taught by Tim Rader. Tim has preached one of our revivals in the past. I went to school with him. He's got a great church up there in UP. This was his outline. This is his, Speaking to the missionaries and missionary candidates, his outline was, be a man. You know why he taught on this? This is what he said. He said, I am seeing so many sissies who have no backbone, who have no conviction, who have no standard entering into the ministry. He said, every one of them failed. He said, missionaries, you have got to be men I thought wow he talked about how there in their local school and there's several local schools there one is Rudyard's where he actually he was a football coach there for many years now in this i think it's a class d school but he said now it's popular to be a homosexual popular do you hear that popular now to be a homosexual in the public school? Be a man. This was this was his three points. Look like a man, talk like a man, and walk like a man. We need to be men. We need to be leaders. I believe this if you'll stand up and you'll be the leader of your home if you'll say this is who we are this is the direction that we're going as for me and my house we are going to serve the Lord your children may not appreciate it now but I guarantee you they'll love you and they'll respect you and listen to me you just may save their soul The main thing about taking the leadership of the family, I believe, is to have a close walk with the Lord. I just can't believe the time. Listen, listen to me, dads. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to read your Bible. You have to study your Bible. If you're going to be a biblical man, you need to memorize Scripture. You need to meditate upon Scripture. You have to have a personal devotional prayer life. You need to be faithful to church, forsake not. You have to have convictions. You have to have standards. I mean, that's that's like bedrock to a family. You have to have it. You have to be growing in your faith. You have to be assuming that spiritual leadership. Again, don't let your family run your family. You run your family. I wish I had time to develop this, but all I have time is just mention it. Isaac read the verses today in Sunday school. According to the Bible... The family was designed by God to be the basic educational unit for the family. The responsibility for the education of children falls squarely upon the shoulders of the fathers. Now we can delegate that, the Bible says, to godly governors and tutors until the time appointed by the fathers. But it was the father's duty to make sure that his children were receiving a godly education. Listen. Listen, listen to pastor. It is not the will of God for your children to be trained by the heathen. Amen. It's not the will of God. Learn not the way of the heathen saith the Lord. Come out from among them and be separate. I could string verse after verse together. It is not the will of God. That's one of the reasons why this church has had the vision for a Christian school. For those who cannot home do not homeschool, do not have the capacity to homeschool to give you an option that you can give your children godly education. Don't let your children be ruined by the philosophy of this world. By the traditions of men. To be led astray. And not after Christ. Dad, it's your duty to make sure your children know how to be saved. It's your duty to make sure that your children know how to walk with the Lord. That they know how to keep the ways of the Lord, that they know how to be spirit filled. Dads, it's up to you that your children know how important the local church is. Forsake not means forsake not. That's what it means. If you undermine the local church and the importance of the local church, Don't be surprised when your children abandon the local church altogether. 50% of all youths from the ages of 18 to 22, according to Hope College, leave the church never to return again. 50% casualty rate. God help us. And the greatest thing I believe a father can pass on to his children is a love for God, a love for the Word of God, and a desire to live for God. Joshua urges the nation of Israel to make these the special aim and the goal of their life. And for that time they did. Children will usually follow their parents' example. Especially if it's a godly father. A boy may love his mother, but he will follow his father. I have much more, but I'll leave you with this final story. I'll just read it to you. This is about a pastor whose young son became terminally ill that after his young son had undergone extensive series of testing, the father was told by the doctors the shocking news that his son had a terminal illness. His son had accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, so the minister knew that death would usher him into glory. But he wondered how to tell his son that he would soon die. After earnestly seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit, The father went into the room with a heavy heart. Walked down the hospital ward into the boy's room and knelt by the bedside of his dying son. First he read a passage of scripture. Then he had a time of prayer with his child. Then he gently told him that the doctors could not promise him that the doctors could only promise him a few more days to live the father looked at the son and said son are you afraid to meet Jesus blinking away a few tears the little boy looked bravely into the face of his father and said no dad not if he's like you be a leader and have a plan for your family be a Joshua
1: Thank you for listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you've missed any messages or would like to hear this one again, just visit our website at www.fbcclarklake.org or visit us on iTunes where you can subscribe for free to our weekly podcast. If this or any other message has been an encouragement to you, we would love to hear about it. Just send us a note on our website. If you do not currently have a church you are attending, we would love to have you come visit us here at Fellowship Baptist We are located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan, 49234. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you here again next time. Have a great day, and God bless.